Father in heaven, help us now that we may pay attention to your word, be comforted, encouraged, strengthened by it. Give us ears to listen and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is almost certainly no psalm more beloved than Psalm 23. And quite possibly, there is no chapter of all 1,189 chapters in the Bible more beloved than Psalm 23. I have been over the years to a number of homes where I have seen this embroidered or cross-stitched, and you can clarify me afterward the difference between those two things, and framed in the kitchen. I have heard it sung as you have over and over, and we had just a a setting, and you can find half a dozen other settings in our hymnal, and there's scores of other settings to music of this beloved psalm. I think I've heard Psalm 23 At perhaps every funeral, almost every, certainly, funeral that I've been a part of, either officiating or attending, whether in the service or at the graveside, even when I've been at a memorial service for someone who didn't belong to a church or didn't have much of a faith commitment to Christ or had no commitment to Christ, yet in their service, they would, even as a non-religious person, likely to have Psalm 23 read. I've heard it as you have read in hospital rooms and around the bedside in hospice. And some dear saints will remember Psalm 23 when they get to the end of their life, though they may not remember much of anything else. This will stick with them, likely for many of you in the King James Version. We love this psalm. Generally, we like it because it is so familiar to us. You, you only have to hear the first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. And you can repeat the next line and a flood of memories will come back for many people, especially if you grew up in the church, grew up as a Christian. And even if you don't have a rich theological basis in this psalm, It paints a beautiful picture, so bucolic, so tranquil, so pastoral. 
I met Trisha when we were both in school on the North Shore in Massachusetts, north of Boston, a beautiful part of the country. And uh, we met going to the same Presbyterian church there. And I was at seminary and she was at a college just down the road. And when you drove up this picturesque New England road with signs for cities that were established in the 1600s, and you would see just in that short drive heading up to the church off, and off to the left before you reach the church would be just a picturesque, a, a, a little fence and there would be some rolling hills and you would see sheep and you think that you were transported in time or that Thomas Kincaid himself were somewhere painting this scene. It was so idyllic, sheep grazing, little fences, rolling hills, it's like Amazing Grace, that hymn, it has entered the cultural lexicon, the Lord is my shepherd, signifies beauty, comfort, and it is beautiful, and it is comforting. But hopefully this psalm is more than just an emotional experience of tranquility. Let me give you briefly three other reasons we should love this psalm, and I will try to be relatively brief, as one of my children said to me, is this one of those services where there are three sermons? Well, we'll, we'll many sermons, many sermons. Reason number one, we ought to love Psalm 23, the way God's character is displayed in this psalm. The way God's character is displayed. Now notice several striking juxtapositions. That is, things next to each other that you wouldn't think should be next to each other. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, many of us have heard that so many times. Of course, that's the fill in the blank. The Lord is my shepherd. And we think of shepherd and we think of Psalm 23 and we think of idyllic scenes and we think of perhaps Sunday school drawings. Well, what was a shepherd? It was an honorable job, but there was nothing beautiful or peaceful or glamorous about it. It was hard work. It was rugged work. It was dirty. It was messy. And we think of shepherds as just something that somebody, maybe, you know, someone up in rural New England or somebody off in Australia still does. But think about what a shepherd had to do in the ancient world. You had to tend to animals you were also watching over perhaps a, a master's most, some of his most valuable possessions and assets. You had to be good as a agrarian. You had to be good as a master to get the sheep where you want to go. So we hear the Lord is my shepherd and of course it makes sense. But when you think of all that they had to do, what if we said the Lord is my veterinarian? The Lord is my dog breeder. The Lord is my farm hand. The Lord is my financial manager. Well, a shepherd had to essentially do all those sorts of things. And so it's very striking that you have the Lord, and you notice in verse one, wherever you see Lord in the Old Testament in those small capital letters, it's the, the divine covenant name, Yahweh or Jehovah. 
the great I am, the I am that I am, the holy one of Israel, Yahweh, that great and mighty God is my shepherd? Yes, the Lord is my king, my sovereign, my ruler, my God, but really my shepherd? That he leads me? He takes care of me? That he knows my name? Why should the great king and creator of all the universe be bothered to find green pasture for me? To lead me beside cool water? To keep me on the right path? The Lord is my shepherd. And then notice at the end of verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's a strange juxtaposition. For the rod and the staff were instruments of discipline, correction, corralling. And yet here it says, they bring me comfort. Why? Well, because they turn away wolves and thieves. And they keep me away from danger as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. They comfort me because they represent the shepherd's commitment to keep me in line. Are you ever comforted by that? Not many of us are, not many sheep would be, not many children are, not many people under authority are, and yet here David says, I find great comfort, O Lord, that you have a rod, and you have a staff, because it means that you care enough about me to prevent me from straying, to bring me back if I wander from the path. What does Proverbs say? But the fool hates the rod, the godly love it. And then it says in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We ever think that's strange? Shouldn't it say you prepare a table before me in the presence of my family, my friends, my well-wishers, my confidants? Or if we're going to talk about enemies, shouldn't it say you lead me to run away in the presence of my enemies, or perhaps you lead me to fight against my enemies, and yet this strange juxtaposition, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A picture of a God who can take care of us in every situation, even surrounded by enemies, can be our calm, our rest, our repose. It's a picture of a God who feeds you, who fills your cup, who heals your wounds. When I was younger, I would often hear that the church was like a hospital, a place for the sick and the dying, a place to have your wounds tended to. And then when I got a little older and maybe when I was a young pastor, I thought, well, that seems a little weak. You know, the church is an army, Bold, marching across the land, valiant for truth. And now that I'm in my 40s and oh so wise, I realize, of course, it's both. The church is an army, but every army has an infirmary. Now you say, but it's war. Well, yes, but even surrounded by your enemies, you need someone to prepare a table. You need to eat. I may have mentioned this one time before, but I remember years ago talking to a soldier who was in my church, and uh, he was 
in Afghanistan and had returned and, or perhaps he was in Iraq, I think it was before the front in Afghanistan and had asked what, what he was doing and he said uh, that he was in harm's way and he was uh, in a very important work and so I asked him for some more details and he, then he said to me sort of sheepishly, well, I'm a part of a convoy that brings up ice cream from Kuwait through to Iraq for the soldiers. I said, praise the Lord. I want the soldiers fighting to have ice cream, if at all possible. And they had, you know, the, the explosive devices along the way. He said, it's, it's, it's very difficult work, but I am the part of the convoy to bring ice cream up from the Gulf so the soldiers can eat. Yes, even surrounded by your enemies, you still need to eat ice cream once in a while. He prepares a table before us in the midst of battle, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering. So you see the character of our God in these striking relationships. Here's the second reason to love Psalm 23. The way Christ cares for his people through his pastors. It may not be the main point of Psalm 23, but it's certainly a fair inference and one that it would be remiss not to mention on a night like tonight. Often in the Old Testament, a shepherd is the one who is the leader of God's people. Jeremiah 3.15, the Lord promises, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. If you wanna pray one simple thing for your pastors, that'd be a good place. Jeremiah 3.15 Oh Lord, would you bless this church with shepherds after your own heart who will lead us with knowledge and understanding. Take you 10 seconds and the Lord will honor that prayer. We know in Ephesians 4.11, one of the gifts that Christ gives to the church is the gift of pastor teachers or shepherd teachers. To be a shepherd is to be one engaged in difficult but glorious work Here's what one biblical scholar says about the nature of shepherding in the Old Testament. He says, shepherding has a figurative meaning in certain contemporary religious settings where it has been applied in reductionistic ways. Some groups have used it to emphasize a strict accountability. Many denominations use the language synonymous with pastoral care exclusively to refer to ministry among the sick and needy. That's shepherding. Such associations have their relative merits, but they are not anchored in or controlled by the cultural realities and texts of the biblical world. In contrast, he writes, to such restricted and distorted images, the Bible promotes robust, comprehensive shepherd leadership characterized as much by the judicious use of authority as by sympathetic expressions of compassion." To be a shepherd was to be engaged in the total life of the sheep. When Jacob's family was forced to relocate to Egypt, they told Pharaoh, we are all shepherds, which was considered detestable to the Egyptians, but would become a point of great honor among the Israelites. David was a shepherd. The kings of Israel were often called shepherds. We see with Laban in Genesis 29 through 31 that when shepherds were owners or managers of large herds, they would often hire under shepherds to care for the smaller subflocks. So we have something like that. God is our chief shepherd and he uses the work of under shepherds 
to care for his flock across the world. What did a shepherd do in the ancient world? Well, you see a good example of it here in Psalm 23. A good shepherd feeds. Sheep need to eat to live. A good shepherd leads. One of the most difficult challenges for a shepherd in the ancient world was to lead them to drinkable water, especially in many of the arid places in Israel. How do I find water? So a shepherd had to be a leader to get them to drink. A good shepherd is a guide. Gets them where they need to go. And a good shepherd protects. So the rod would be used for counting the sheep so you could know each one. For disciplining the sheep, if you need a little hit across the backside, and for fending off intruders as they come. So a good shepherd protects, and a good shepherd preserves. You have a rod and you have a staff. They're two different things. The rod to number the sheep and to fend off uh, intruders and to perhaps exercise some discipline, and then the staff for plucking off branches or for rescuing an animal that might be trapped in a brook or in a thicket or for redirecting the wandering sheep. You picture the classic, you know, somebody's being exited stage right with one of those shepherd's crooks. Well, you might have to do that to get the shepherd where he needs to go. In other words, a good shepherd feeds, leads, guides, protects, and preserves. One scholar says, shepherds were known for independence, resourcefulness, adaptability, courage, and vigilance. Their profession cultivated a capacity for attentiveness, self-sacrifice, and compassion. That's a lot. But that's what God wants from his shepherds. That's why he chose to use the name for the leader of his people. Not a businessman. We're thankful for businessmen. Not even to call them kings but chiefly to call them shepherds. This is what Jacob told Laban about being a shepherd. Genesis 31. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts that I, I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me. The cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. That's how Jacob described being a shepherd. I was hot, I was cold, it was sleepless. I gave everything to you, Laban, the master, that I might labor as your under-shepherd for the good of this chief aim, the flock. And so it is with pastors. If you have good pastors, that their aim is not to feed themselves, but to feed the sheep not to lead themselves to places of greater honor or notoriety or comfort, but to lead the sheep and safely where they might dwell. Hard work, and yet it is the dominant image for Israel's leaders in the Old Testament, for the church leaders in the New Testament, and for Christ himself, which leads us to our third and final point, why we love this psalm. Because of the way Christ embodies this psalm. Think of the two images for God in this psalm. Verses one through four, Lord as shepherd. Verses five and six, the Lord as host. 
Christ perfectly fulfills both roles. Don't we often see Christ in the New Testament as a shepherd? John 10, most prominently, he feeds us, he knows us by name, he does not let strangers enter the sheepfold. His yoke is easy, he gives rest for our souls, he calls us by name and we know the master's voice. He says, I'll give you rest from your labors. I'll give you rest from your sins. I'll lead you with my word. I'll protect you by my spirit. Not a hair shall fall from your head that I don't know about. Listen, some of you know Christ as king and you should. He is a mighty king. You know him as savior and you should. We know that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. Do you know him also? as a shepherd, and not just a shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know him as your shepherd? Do you relate to him as one who knows you by name, who knows all of your struggles, who is able to care for you, to sympathize, who is always working to lead you, to feed you, to guide you, even when you think for all the world that the shepherd has forgotten you and you're lost and how could this be happening and how could God let his sheep hurt like this? You have a shepherd who loves you and he knows you. Christ is our shepherd. And then the other image, he is our host. We see this in John's gospel as well. He's the one who feeds with the bread of life. And of course, ultimately, we see it at that last supper. And we celebrate it every time we come to the table. That Christ is the host. Think about it. Jesus is the one who says, come over to my house and I want to prepare a meal for you. There's few things we do that show a greater expression of Christian love than Hospitality. In hospitality, you have to give up all the things that are precious to you, your privacy, your time, your resources, your space. And we have Jesus who says, I want to come. And I want you to come. And I will feed you. And I will prepare a, a table before you. Isn't this the image in verse 5? Isn't this what we see Christ doing in that last supper, when he says, prepare everything, find the upper room, he serves his disciples a meal. He prepares a table in the presence of his enemies, literally, doesn't he, with Judas right there? He's the host. And then, in, in a remarkable fulfillment that David himself could not have completely understood, Christ would be the good shepherd, he would be the host to prepare a table before us, and he would also be the meal. He would also be the bread, the wine in his body and blood. And so we can say it with verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I remember years ago seeing a cartoon that had two dogs and they were following this little girl who somehow was labeled as Shirley 
And the two dogs had a tag, and one was named goodness and one was named mercy. It's nice of you to laugh. It's not all that funny, but it, 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 it's the picture stuck with me, and maybe it will stick with you. Just like two good dogs, man's best friend, will never leave their master's side. So you have to imagine as you go through life, and if you don't like dogs, you can do cats. If you don't like cats, you can do hamsters. If you don't like ham, you just find something that works for you. Have these dogs nipping at your heels. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. They're always following you and never let you go wherever you are. They're always ready to track you down. That's the picture. Surely with the Lord as our shepherd, with the Lord as our host, we will never outrun his goodness. We will never be lost from his mercy and they will bring us home to dwell in the house of the Lord. You know, we have at any time in a church like this, we have friends, brothers and sisters who are in the hospital, sometimes for lengthy stays, and some of you have been there. And you know what it's like, that simple, exquisite pleasure when you come home. Or a long trip, maybe overseas for business, or maybe deployed in service. Or maybe it's the sense of belonging and nostalgia that comes over you when when you return to grandma and grandpa's house or to the place where you were raised. Salvation is in a very powerful sense about coming home. That often indescribable, intangible sense, this is mine I belong here, I'm known here, I'm loved here, I'm safe here, this is my home. It's a powerful image. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms and I'm getting it all set. And if you trust me and you follow me, I'll get you there. He is the good shepherd who always feeds us, always leads us, and always gets his sheep back home. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give grace for your word in this beloved psalm, and we pray that you would remind us once again not simply how beautiful the pictures are, but How wonderful you are to love us like this and care for us like this. May your people here this evening, any who are especially weary, wandering, lost, feeling the assault of the evil one or the disappointment with life, may they know you as the good shepherd. We pray in Jesus. Amen.